0: Disciples, develop leaders, and plan churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a sermon based on 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and the sermon title is Overflowing with Generosity. We hope you are blessed by the message today. We want to see our church grow, but then also grow to the point where we are sending out missionaries and leaders that among you all are leaders that are eventually going to be part of leading churches. Not all of you, but some of you, and you know who you are. You feel it. You feel the angst of, I want to be a part of something multiplying, because you see it in the scripture, don't you? You see it where the gospel multiplied in the book of Acts. You're like, you know what? It can't just be about building a church as big as it can be. It's about spreading the kingdom. So we have that as part of our unique picture and vision as a church. So I asked For this report so that I could share it with you. I'm not going to belabor this. This is not a family meeting or a uh, a meeting that's all about finances by any means, but I wanted to share something with you just to, first of all, motivate you and then also give you an accurate understanding of a present reality. So we have grown over the last few months. Over the last three months, out of approximately, yes, 170 people we've seen in this room, but I would say approximately 170, including children, but these are regular attendees or members, out of the 170, there are 26 people who regularly give to the mission of this church. 170 or so, and 26. Now, here's what I say about that. That's 14%, okay? One thing that I have to say about this is praise God for providing for us. I praise God for believers who look at the Scripture and who sacrificially give. Praise God. Praise God. God is doing amazing things. Praise God for faithful partnerships in the gospel, because we do have partners that are outside of this church that help us do what we should do and need to do. So praise God for that. So we can be thankful as a church, but I want you to hear that and just do with that as as you will. But we can be thankful. On the other hand, I also want you to imagine the possibilities for the kingdom if 50% of the church gave to the work of the kingdom with their life, time, and resources, or 80% or even 100% of a church who sees the vision of the gospel, the mission of the gospel, and says, I'm in. I'm in. I'm all in. My life, my time, my resources, everything that I have, I'm in. So that that number, and you tell me biblically, right, just think about this. Let it settle on your heart and think about this. Should it be 14% of a local church that gives, or should it be 100%? percent i it should be 100%, right, of God's people. That's just reality. Take, take it again. <laughs> you guys, we're family here. All right, come on, lighten up. No. <laughs> we don't want extravagance. This is not about extravagance. You guys know that this church is not about extravagance. We, we have a hard time heating this building, right? Like we, we, we come in here with our coats on, and we're okay with that. That's not extravagance. In the wintertime, it's, by the way, if you've not been here for a winter, we'll see how this winter goes, right? It could be snowing in here this winter. We just don't know. We have no idea. But we do want stability, right? We want the ability to steward finances and resources towards a steady kingdom work. Where as a local church, we're able to say, God, where do you want us to go? We're going to go. And we have the ability to do it. Why? Because the church is being the church. And the church is walking in the spirit and being obedient to the scriptures. That's all that anyone should really ask or be able to expect From a biblical local church. And this would include things like a building of our own to worship in. We don't own this. You guys know in two years this building is coming down. I want to be here for that day. I don't know if they're going to use a wrecking ball. Should be pretty cool. But it's also kind of sad. The building's coming down. So in our future, we need a place to worship, right? That's biblical. A place for God's people to come together and worship. So that's a reality. We want to be able to not only just have a building to worship in, but we want to train leaders. We want to send out missionaries. We want to church plant A place of solace and refuge and fellowship for God's people to come on a weekly, regular basis to live out what we believe the New Testament teaches, to regularly gather, to share the Lord's Supper, to worship the Lord together as a body, to fellowship, to unite in prayer, these things that are biblical, godly things for us to do. A place that is dedicated to God for decades of preaching the word to generations of disciple makers. I want you to think about that. A place that has some stability and some roots and a family of God's people that for generations, right, wherever you stand on eschatology, I don't know, we could be here for another 10 years, we could be here for another 200 years, could be here for another 1,000 years. Some of you are like, no way, no, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. No, we don't know that. It could be another 1,000 years. So what kind of church are we going to be? We want to be a church that says we are here to preach the gospel and make disciples of generations to come. Amen? Amen. You think about your kids, think about their kids and their kids. How awesome to think of a church here in the mid-coast of Maine that makes disciples of generations of people coming from this group that I'm talking to right now. How awesome. Amen? So get that, think about that. Think about that vision with me. All of this takes what? What does all of this take? Be real practical with me and just shout out the answer if you know it. What does this all take? You said it, not me. You said it. <laughs> You see, I set you up there. You've said that word that is not allowed to be spoken in church. (laughs) It's a taboo word. Don't talk about money. No, it's true, right? It it does. It all takes money. Because we desire to be a biblical church, we believe it's biblical to be led by a plurality of elders. There's a day in the near future where New City Church is going to have seven elders. Whereas five years ago, it began with one. God is doing a great work. Some of these elders will be lay elders, meaning they will continue to work outside of the church at a profession or a craft that God has called them to. And that's an amazing thing, right? That's a biblical thing. But also there will be some who receive a living through the church as is able. As the church is able to devote that to the body, then that elder or that person is able to devote all of their time to preaching the word of God while not being so busy with their family, uh, while, while their family suffers. And this is, a biblical, this is a biblical thing. And I want you to think also, if you're, we're not just thinking about New City Church here, but as we send out church planters, we also want to be able to send out church planters that don't have to spend all of their time working and expect to have enough time to also love their family well and spend time with their family and minister to the flock. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So we want that's some of the things that are on our, our plate on our table. So let me show you some things that just show that this is biblical. Turn over to First Timothy 5:18. That's where we're going to start, and we're going to work through several scriptures, and then we're going to end up in 2 Corinthians chapter eight and nine for the remainder of our time together. But First Timothy 5:18, just on this idea of elders and shepherds within the local church, how has God ordained that this is carried out? So 1 Timothy 5.18 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now this is very clear from that text. And if you were to expand out on that, Paul is speaking to the church. He's talking about order in the church. What is the church to look like? How is it to function? He's talking about leadership. This is clear that honor is to be given to elders, and when possible, that that honor will include wages, and especially for those who teach and preach the Word of God. It's funny, when you look back in history, this is now, it's, again, it's taboo for us today, but if you look at the historical church, it was not an, a strange thing for the entire church to just expect the fact that the pastor, he needs to have time to to focus on shepherding the flock. And it was part of their responsibility. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So most of you know that Paul, he did not get his living through the church or through the local church. We know that Paul was a tent maker, and even though Paul chose to be a tent maker and to not burden the churches as he traveled around planting churches, visiting as a missionary, we know that he saw this as an exception, not the rule. I think a lot of times we look at that and we say, no, 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 Paul was a tent maker, so every pastor should be a tent maker. It may be that way, but Paul clearly believed that also pastors and elders in the local churches should, when possible, be able to be provided for through the local church. So that's something that we have on our plate. And as we grow and as we expand, and and I will absolutely say that I praise God for that, that God has provided for that. But again, we have a big vision for the future, we believe and pray that it's it's a biblical vision for the future. It is biblical for the people of God to provide monetarily for its pastors when possible, and for that matter, you know we see this and additional staff that comes on. We see you know you look around at church. You're like, why are these churches staffing these people? It's if it's a contrib- it's if it's contributing to the kingdom work, to kingdom ministry. I think that the church has the responsibility to steward that. Not being exorbitant with it, not going overboard with it, but these are things that we see. But this idea of the church providing for those who give their full attention to the ministry is not just a New Testament concept. Turn back to Numbers with me. Numbers chapter 18. Flip over there in your Bibles. Numbers 18. A lot of you know where I'm going with this. Numbers 18, beginning in verse 21, we're going to read through verse 24. It says to the levites i have given every tithe in israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do their service in the tent of meeting so that the people of israel do not come near the tent of meeting lest they bear sin and die but the levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting and they shall bear their iniquity it shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and among the people of israel they shall have no inheritance For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of God. So what you're catching on to and seeing, hopefully, is that in the Old Testament system, there was also a way of providing for kingdom work. And it was through the people of God. And there were a select tribe, the Levites, who were told you don't have physical inheritance at all. In fact, I need you to focus all of your time on the work that goes on in the tent of meeting and the way you're going to be able to focus there is the rest of the tribes, they're going to give a tithe and you're going to be provided for through that. That's your inheritance. Interesting, right? So if you didn't know that, maybe that's new for you. That's the way that this was set up. Now, one sermon is not sufficient time to get into the entirety of this Old Testament system. But let's just summarize and say that Israel began as a theocracy, which meant that the entire nation of Israel believed and understood that their ruler was not a president or an earthly king, but that God was in charge. That was a theocracy. What an awesome thing. Not a democracy. God was the head of Israel. He was the king. And the government of Israel was what? The priesthood. That was the government of Israel. God was ruler, leader, and then you had the priesthood. The priesthood and the Levites specifically represented God's law, which he had given through Moses, and they represented that to the people of God. Well, would you believe it, that that system also needed funding? It had to happen. The way that that system was funded was through a tax. This might throw some of you off. The tithe. The tithe was actually a tax. A tax that God had required of Israel Tithe simply means 10%. Hopefully this is, for some of you, a freeing reality to you, but then also just a really good education of, okay, this is what this means. Because you've heard churches talk about, I need your tithe. Give me your tithe. Are you tithing? What's a tithe? I don't know. I don't have tithes in my pocket, you know. Whatever, you're, you're just looking for your tithe. Tithe simply means 10%. This was not an offering, though. It wasn't an offering. It was a tax. It was obligatory, it was something that Israel knew this is what God required us to give. In addition to this, in Deuteronomy 14, we see that there was a, another tithe or tax 10% that was asked in Deuteronomy 14 for the feasts. How were all the feasts of Israel to be funded? You had to have of the ability to hold these feasts, for all of Israel to gather and celebrate these feasts that God had given. Well, there was actually a feast tithe as well. That was the second. So there was one tithe that was given to the Levites. There was a tithe that was for the feasts. And there was actually a third tithe that was for the poor that was taken up every three years. Every three years, there was another tithe that was taken to be given to the widows, the sojourners, the orphans, etc. F- so if you're in this room and you're like, No, 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 no. I strongly am convinced that we still need to tithe like Israel did. Okay. It's like 25%. I don't know if you realize that. It's exactly, you had the first tithe, the second tithe, and then a third tithe taken every three years. And again, it was a tax. This wasn't their free will offering. We're going to get to that in a second. In reality, what they gave in total on a yearly basis, the average Israelite, family was giving 25% of their yearly increase, whether that was grain or produce or herds or however they made their living, and it was used to fund that Old Testament government system. But the reality was the tithe for Israel, like I said, was a tax. It wasn't an offering. A tax doesn't show generosity, does it? You can be like, wow, Israel was so generous. They gave 25% of all their stuff. No, no, that was asked of them. This wasn't a heart of generosity. But wait a minute. It goes on. The Old Testament also speaks of what is called a free will offering. How many of you heard of a free will offering? Old Testament. Free will offering. Free will simply means they gave what they wanted, and it was based on a matter of the heart and not the letter of the law. They also gave that in addition to the 25% that they were taxed. Now it's starting to get like, wow, this is pretty incredible what Israel was required to do and then what they did beyond that. And that's really what has carried through into the New Testament giving as well. Today, I'll just come out and say it, we have only free will offerings. There is no tithe required. The church is not taxed by God in order to fund this mechanism of the church. It's a different system. Now, some of you might think, well, I do tithe. That's okay. That's between you and the Lord. But there is no New Testament tithe Right? That was an Old Testament system. It was used to fund the priesthood and the, the feasts and various things like that. Now, the carnal mind thinks this. Well, that's good. There's no more tithe. Now, we don't have to give as much as they did, or they used to, if we even have to give at all. Right? The carnal mind thinks, oh, no more tithe? Well, then I can give a lot less. I can do 1% or 2% and God will be fine with that. If it's based on what we want to give, then sometimes the mind goes to the lesser amount. But look at Exodus 35 with me. Exodus 35, beginning in verse 4. This is when the temple was going to be first constructed, and this is what Moses said to the people. So Exodus 35, beginning in verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple, scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skin and goat's skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant Incense and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breast piece. So, what was the need? The need here was the tabernacle. Okay, this is the need before them. How was it going to get funded? It was going to get funded by the people of God. How much should they give? Moses didn't specify how much they should give, it wasn't specified only that whoever is of a generous heart. Did you guys notice that? Look at verse 4 again. Moses said to the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart. That's an interesting requirement. Can you imagine being in a group of people? All right, whoever of you are generous, we are like, well, I'm not generous, so. Like, imagine taking that stance. Like, no, that's not me. Like, that's the way God kind of speaks to the conscience because we know that generosity is what God is. God is generous. And so when God says to the people, so whoever is the gener- of a generous heart, this is what is needed for the tabernacle. It wasn't specified, just whoever is of a generous heart. Now look at verse 20 of that same chapter. It says, all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him And everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So, for your information, what happens in the next chapter is that the guys who were skilled and were called by Moses to oversee this work of the tabernacle, they examined all these free will offerings that came in from the people of Israel, and so much had come in, it was recorded, that they actually had to say, stop The generosity of God's people looking at the need of the tabernacle and what was set, those who are generous of heart, so much came in that the skilled workers had to say, we have too much, we can't handle it anymore, you need to stop giving. That's pretty cool, huh? No more. I've never seen that. I've never seen that anywhere. I've never heard of a a church having to tell their people to stop giving. Like I've never, never, maybe you have, if you have, I'd love to find out because that's kind of cool because they were giving too much. Now what this does say though is that the people who were charged with overseeing the funds are also called to be honest. You notice that. When somebody says, hey, you've given too much, that means that also the people who were called to oversee that were not being sinful with what was given. They realized, here's the need and this is what we're using the need for. So that's pretty cool too. And that's often the downfall of giving. People tend not to trust where their gifts are going. And this is why mission and vision is so crucial. That's why it's so vision that you all know where are we going as a church? What, is this, what are the things that we're seeking to do? This is why communication and biblical eldership with accountability among elders is so, so important. And then having leaders that are committed to the kingdom is so important. Because otherwise, if you have somebody that's just harping and harping and saying, give, 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 we need your money, we need your money, but there's no clarity, there's no communication, it builds a lot of distrust, and there's a very good chance that you guys have been a part of churches or systems, or you've seen it, you've watched it on TV, where you're like, I don't know if I can trust any church, because all they ever do is talk about money, and I have no idea where it's going. Although, you have an idea where it's going, it's going into their pockets, and it's buying them the things that they want, and that is something you need to run as far from all of those ministries as you possibly can. The faith ba- the, the faith prosperity movement is absolutely ruining the minds of so many Christians, it is a heretical system. They came with their gifts because they knew that it would be used for the tent of meeting, all of its services, and the holy garments. So the vision was to create a place of meeting with the Lord to be ever before his face. you got to know that the Israelites were thinking, this tent of meeting is so important. It's not a small thing. This means we're going to get to fellowship with God. This is something God is telling to us to do through Moses. So the voice of the Lord is involved with this, the will of God, knowing that this is where we get to fellowship with him. And so they were stirred up to do this. This is the mission that stirred up their hearts and moved their spirits to give. And there it said again in that last portion, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. This was a free will offering. This wasn't part of the tax. Nobody was forced to do it. It was between them and the Lord. And it's just amazing to see God provide that way. So what about today? What about the tithe? What about our giving? And then maybe even more practically, what is expected of believers who are members of New City Church? So we have a variety of ways to give, and you hear it every week, so it's important to talk about it. We have somebody that stands at this microphone, right? You've seen it every week, and they mention giving, and they tell you about a little black box, and they tell you about the screen and all this stuff. Well, that's not just for the fun of it, it's part of our worship. It's, that's why we put it in the middle of our worship, in the middle of our scripture reading and prayer, is because it's part of our worship. But it, there are ways, you know, we mentioned many ways that we can do that. You probably grew up in a church that passed an offering plate or a basket. How many of you grew up in a church where they went through the aisles? See, you're like, what's with this church? Where's the baskets? Right? Right And they used to have like long poles, even like, and they'd reach in like here, and they'd like sh- you, you know, or whatever. It's, we, we don't do it that way. We chose at the very beginning, as Eric and I would begin to talk, do we want to have a, a basket, a box, or we ended up with the cheapest Staples metal box, and that's literally five years old. We've had that from the beginning. Maybe some of you are thinking you should do better, because I know we've had people come in looking for the box. And we couldn't find it. And so that's such a small box that it gets lost in a closet somewhere sometimes. So pray for us. We'll figure it out eventually. We'll figure it out. Um, But thankfully, we do have good systems around that. You guys should know that it's not taken lightly, right? So after that box leaves, it's not just one person that's counting the money. There's an accountability system, and we do very much care about that. So... I don't think that that's wrong to pass a plate or to have the basket. That's not wrong. What matters is the mission of the church that takes up the offering and are we willing and are we thinking and responding biblically about giving? That's what is most important. So I want you to go ahead and turn and get ready to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Go ahead and look over there with me. We already know that based on Paul's words to Timothy, That it was expected, similar to the Levites, that those who labor in local pastoral shepherding should be supported when possible by the local church. We know that there's no tithe exacted upon the church today. That's something we've also already covered Nowhere in the New Testament can we find that? When Jesus told Israel to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, you all remember that story. He give to Caesar what is Caesar's and what belongs to him and give to God what belongs to him, He was recognizing, partly in that, that Israel was not a theocracy anymore. Israel was now under the Rome of government, right? Or the, uh, the Roman government, the Rome of government. That sounds kind of cool, actually. The, they were under the Roman government. So Jesus said, pay taxes to who? Caesar. Now your taxes go to Caesar. And he actually said, pay your taxes. That's biblical. Pay taxes to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Now, what is it that belongs to God, New City Church? Who said it? My man, Colin. Everything. So he wasn't saying, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and tithe to God. That's not what he said. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. That's the taxes. You should pay your taxes. Give to God what belongs to God. What belongs to God? Everything. Your whole life, your heart, your being, your home, your children, everything. You're like, my children belong to God. Yeah, they, they're, they're, he's given them to you on loan. Like, steward this. Everything that you have, steward it well. It all belongs to God. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In this chapter, Paul encourages the Corinthian church to be generous in their giving, and he challenges them so i want to challenge us too 2 corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 5 paul says we want you to know brothers about the grace of god that has been given among the churches of macedonia for in a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part for they gave according to their means as i can testify and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So you see what's happening here. He's saying, hey, Corinthian believers, check out the grace of God among the poor people. The example that Paul brings up is look at the example of generosity among the poor and afflicted churches of Macedonia. Quite an example for Paul to choose to motivate the Corinthian believers. Here Paul completely obliterates the myth. Now this is a myth. He obliterates the myth that giving should only be coming from people who have extra. That is a myth. That giving should only come from from people who have extra. And he, we know that that's the case because here he uses as an example the poverty of Macedonian churches to say in the midst of their affliction and their poverty, they overflowed with a wealth of generosity. That's just impressive. Even the widow in Jesus' day was praised for the single coin that she offered in faith because it was everything that she had. She was praised for giving all that she had, and she was a poor widow. And the rich were shamed because out of their abundance, they gave only a small fraction. And so you hear the heart of Jesus even in that story. So several things stand out just from those first five verses as we're looking at 2 Corinthians 8. Number one is generosity is not a concept limited to those who have extra, but for all who have experienced the grace of God. Generosity is for those who have experienced the grace of God. And so I would just simply ask you, have you experienced the grace of God? Is the grace of God upon your life? Have you been given to by God out of the abundance of His wealth? Verse 2 of that chapter, Paul said that it was their abundance of joy plus their poverty that equaled a wealth of generosity on their part. That's the equation. (laughs) an abundance of joy their poverty and what that equaled was generosity on their part that's that's some strange math <laughs> but that's what the grace of god does that's what we should be holding on to and looking at that's what god did their joy clashed with their poverty and god did something absolutely incredible in their heart now paul noticed that they gave within their means but then also above their means what's he saying In reality, what they gave was a small amount. That's what he's saying. They gave within their means. It wasn't like the amount blew him away. Oh, my word, you should have seen it. These guys, they gave more money than I've ever seen in my life at any city in in Asia Minor. No, they gave according to their means, but beyond their means. It was small, but he knew that they gave from their heart out of a heart of generosity. you guys see that? It's, It's pretty awesome. The second thing we notice is generous Christians don't need to be begged to give but will of their own accord beg to be contributors to the cause of the gospel. That's what they did. Did you guys notice that in the text? It says in verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That's what they said to Paul. We want to be a part of this. We beg you, let us contribute. So we know that a generous Christian doesn't need to be begged to give, but will of their own accord beg to be a contributor to the cause of the gospel. So I'll just ask you, which one, which one are you? And then which, what kind of church are we? A generous church, what kind of church do we want to be? Who are you going to be as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as you see the cause of the gospel around you? And what we see is that God has set up the local church to be the primary mechanism through which the gospel spreads and the kingdom spreads. You might say, well, I, I'm generous, but I just take everything I have and I just do it on my own. Well, that's not biblical. It's actually not biblical. Now, you should be as generous, as generous as you desire to be to the people around you and give to whoever the Lord leads you to. But if it's that instead of the local church, then you need to examine scriptures and say, Is this biblical? Is it biblical for me to be disconnected from the local church in that way? And you just deal with that with the Lord and and look at Scripture and, and examine your heart. And it would seem that the Corinthians did not have the same issue of poverty that the Macedonians had. And even though he would not command that they give, notice that he did appeal to their heart with the gospel, he appealed to their heart. In other words, the greatest motivation to becoming a church that overflows with generosity is for every member to understand how much Christ has done, how much Christ has given to us. And that's why Paul said in verse 9, look look down at verse 9 of the same chapter, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. Isn't that amazing? What he puts before them to appeal to them about their generosity, about their giving, about their being involved in in the church and the local mission and the mission of the gospel is he puts Jesus front and center in the grace of God, because what else really matters? You know the grace of our Lord, who that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You know, if you were to memorize this verse, I want you to just imagine the scenarios in which someone might ask you, what is the gospel, or what is Christianity all about? You guys know that that is an amazing descriptor of the gospel right there. That is an amazing descriptor. Somebody says to you, what is the gospel? What is Christianity about? Oh, it's about a Savior who is God of everything. He's creator of all. He's richer than all. He is more glorious than everything, than all the stars. He is the originator of love. He invented it. He is grace. He is kindness. And this Savior who has absolutely everything and needs nothing looked at the spiritual poverty of this world and was moved with compassion. That's what he's saying. He was so generous. I want you to just pause for a moment And think about the generosity of God through Jesus Christ. How generous. How amazing. So generous. What did we have to offer Him in exchange? Nothing at all. We had nothing to give Him. What does He have to offer us? Everything. Absolutely everything. Now the person who tries to equate this to physical riches alone, and that what God gives us is physical riches, and what we should have is a wealth of physical abundance and health, that's a ridiculous doctrine, and it's ridiculous in every way of its thinking. You need to wipe away, and I said this before, but wipe away all teachers from social media and your podcast lists and your bookshelves who say that Christ's work at Calvary means we should be physically wealthy and healthy all the time. Just wipe that away. That's not what the Bible says. not what the Bible teaches. So get rid of all of that. The very example Paul uses here is that Christ willingly entered poverty. How do you get around that? Jesus Christ... The example of the gospel is that he willingly gave up riches and entered into poverty. Now, that's not the prosperity gospel. That is the Lord of heaven entering into poverty for the sake of the church so that we might inherit eternal life through faith in him. It is spiritual richness that makes us willing to forsake comfort and to sacrifice for others. to be generous for the cause of the gospel. Paul used different words to say the same thing earlier in chapter 5. Look at chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Sounds very similar. You probably know this verse already. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the same kind of exchange. What are the riches that we get? We get his righteousness. What kind of poverty did he take on? Not only did he come into this world as a actual poor man, but he took on sinful poverty. He was poor. He took on our sin. This is what he did. He became sin, though he knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, why am I saying all of this? We need to look at the generosity of Jesus who gave his love to us and gave his life to us. We just need that all the time. No matter what the topic is or what we're talking about or whatever life circumstance you're in, you need to look at the generosity of Christ who gave his love to us to die in our place, to save us from sin, and to save us from the wrath of God. We need to see that. That is the gospel, brothers and sisters, and it never gets old. Soak in that. If you're a believer here, soak in that, that Jesus died for you. He suffered for you. He became sin for you so that you get his righteousness. And then see that up against the mission of our church. That is the backdrop that Paul is using. Hey, be generous with your life. Be generous with what you have. Look at Jesus who gave all that he is so that you might become righteousness. So that through faith you might have riches. So, we look at this up against the mission of our church, discipleship and church planting and missions and outreach, the preaching of the word and all the needs that surround all of this. And each one of us needs to be utterly unwilling to sit on the sidelines, letting everybody else be generous. And we ourselves need to say, God, help me to be generous and overflow with a wealth of generosity for the work of the kingdom. A generous church is great. A a kingdom-minded church is also great, but if you put those two together, think about that. A generous, kingdom-minded church. You might say, well, I've seen generous churches. I see churches all the time. They give so much money. It's crazy, but they're not kingdom-minded. And then you have a kingdom-minded church that you're like, okay, well, that's a kingdom-minded church. We'll put the two together and say, God, make us a kingdom-minded church that is overflowing with a wealth of generosity because we're simply looking at your word and saying, God, I see your word, I see what you're saying, and I see what you're calling me to be, to be generous. You're not exacting on me a tax or a tithe. You're saying, give from your heart. Let it be a matter of the heart. As many as who are generous. And Lord willing, that church, there's very little that that church cannot do for the cause of the gospel. The kingdom-minded overflowing with generosity, church. So I would ask if there's any conviction in you about any of this today. If you're convicted by this or you find that as you examine your heart, you've been unmoved by the Spirit or you've been only a consumer, you answer that question and you honestly look and you say, you know what, in, in terms of just even serving, I want to call you out of that and challenge you to be somebody who gives your time and, your, and yourself Your time and yourself too. A consumer Christian is somebody who literally walks in these doors and week after week just says, I'm so thankful everybody else is doing this work so that I can come here. Don't be that. Overflow with a wealth of generosity with your life, everything that you have and everything you are. There should be a line at every ministry in this church saying how, where, when, how much. Okay, this is not a scolding. I hope you see this. This is not a scolding. This is a church let's be let's continue to be led by the spirit, overflowing with generosity, moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? I hope you hear what I'm saying. I know it's kind of heavy. It's a little bit of a challenge, but please hear it and listen to it through the lens of scripture. But maybe you answer that question, you're a consumer, then then take this to the Lord and respond in repentance and obedience. And you do that by saying, "Lord, I see what you've done for me. Help me to overflow with a generous life. And let the Lord lead what that's supposed to look like. Nobody here is going to exact on you what you should be doing. It's you that needs to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to overflow in generosity. What does that look like for me and my family in the life of this local church? Does that make sense? A wealth of generosity. I'm going to end by just reading the, the last portion of 2 Corinthians 9, 6-12. I'm going to read through this slowly. Just let it wash over you and then we'll, we'll end with prayer and we'll share communion together. So 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. It's almost like Paul wants us to know the point. So he says this. The point is this. Isn't that cool? Here's the point. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one to God. Doesn't that sum it up? Isn't that clear? The point is, so may you take that word, the words of God, His instruction, and take it to your heart and say, God, how do I need to be living as a generous person, a generous family overflowing with a wealth of generosity for the sake of the kingdom? Take it seriously, church. Let's pray. Let's pray specifically about that, that God would move on our hearts and do what He wills in our church. Father, Your word is so heavy at times, it is challenging, it certainly pushes against the culture and the grain of what this world would say is right, so we know that we very much need to reject and forsake worldly thinking, secular mindset when it comes to money and stewardship and time and what is worth investing in. There are people in this room that invest in so many areas, but potentially are not investing in the kingdom. Not financially only, but you know, God, you see all of our hearts. You know where we need to sacrifice our our time. You see where we need to put aside our hobbies, where we need to put aside the things that we quote-unquote love or need. So I pray that you would convict, Lord, and make this church even more generous, generous with everything that we have, not sowing sparingly. We believe that you will overflow in us riches and riches, not monetarily, we see that in Scripture, God, but the riches of even just knowing that we are walking in your will and that the gospel is being proclaimed and the kingdom is being multiplied and churches are being planted and the gospel is being preached. So God, I pray that you'd help everyone to be on board with that vision and be excited about the the opportunity for themselves to have the blessing of being generous in this life. God, overflow in us a gratefulness for what Jesus has done, how you became poor for our sake. You stood in our place. May that be the motivation for everything we do with our time, with all of our resources. Uh, don't, don't let us be apathetic towards this. Move in your church, Lord. We thank you, and I'm grateful. I'm so grateful, and I know there are many grateful hearts in here. Many wonderful givers, many wonderful servants, many wonderful followers of Christ who have said, Lord, just I'll do whatever you want. But may that be more and more the case as we grow. Challenge us, God, to be obedient to your word so we give this to you Lord we ask your will be done your kingdom come in Jesus name Amen Thanks for tuning in to this week's message for more messages from New City Church check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms or if you want to find our gathering times location or any other information about New City check out our website at bathnewcity.church we hope to have you join us next week